Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Is it a happy Sabbath? Are we happy to be alive today? Are we sure? Um, are we happy that the person right next to us is alive? Ah, praise the Lord. That's what the... <laughs> there you go. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Um, coming to church isn't really for ourselves merely. It's to be uh, in fellowship with fellow believers. Uh, I remember, I think, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us not uh, forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's part of um, uh, worshiping God and as well as being a Christian. Uh, I just want to make a slight correction. I think we haven't updated the biography that I had uh, that I sent to my wife and then she sent to uh, Elder Dan. We've been married for five years now, so uh, praise the Lord for that. Yes, he said three. Um, we've been married for five years, so we feel like we're veterans. <laughs> Not really, but um, I mean, I praise God that, you know, I have a, a lovely wife uh, on my side, and so I just want to make sure that uh, we got the facts right. Um, Yes, uh, this is my second time here. Uh, it was a privilege to be here last time uh, when I was able to sing with a group. And um, that was our first major concert, actually. And we listened to the whole uh, concert that we had, and we said, oh my, we put these people into um, such difficulty <laughs> being our first concert. But I, I know, you know, the angels of God were singing with us, and I know that uh, a lot of people came up to us saying that you were blessed, and that gives us the energy and the, um, the inspiration to continue to spread God's word through singing. Uh, but today I'm here to share a message, um, and the title of the message is Rest or Riches. Um, I've spoken this message uh, before, and uh, it's entitled differently, um, but we, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find the right title for it because it might turn off churches. My title for it before was God, Mammon, and the Mark of the Beast, and it doesn't sound very appealing. Um, but if you put it as rest or riches, you know, R&R, &R, revival, restoration, you know, it, it has that, that, that um, good sound, rest or riches. And um, we will be talking about something that is um, very dear to my heart that I had experienced um, not too long ago, and it's, that experience actually helped me understand the Bible more in regards to the topic of really resting on God, the topic of faith, and the topic of trust. Do I really trust God or do I trust in what I can uh, provide myself? Um, with that said, I ask you to please bow your heads with me. One more time in prayer, and then we'll dive right into the message. Let us pray. Um, our dear Father in heaven, um, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity you've given us to once again um, be at your house of, of worship. And Father, we want to be careful um, in worshiping you. We want to make sure that we worship in spirit and in truth. And so, O oh Lord, O oh, we pray that you please send your Holy Spirit to be with us, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, uh, to take away selfishness and preconceived ideas, um, and open our, eye, our, our hearts and our ears uh, to your word. I pray, O oh Lord, that you please put your words into my mouth, that I may not waste uh, the time of your people. I pray that... Um, May you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
And at the end of the service, uh, I pray, O oh Lord, that we would, that our hearts would burn because we had been with Jesus. Thank you for doing that for us, for we ask, not in what we can bring to the table, but because we ask in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of guy that actually likes looking at statistics. Um, any kind of statistics I can find, I, I really like it. I don't know if you're, um, Elder Dan mentioned that I am a nurse by profession, and so a lot of the continuing educations that I do, they're based on statistics health-wise. Uh, many of the health talks that happen, it's actually based on statistics that they get. And um, one of the statistics that was very interesting uh, found for me was um, the fact that in 2000, I think 2014, only 47% of Americans were happy with their jobs. 47% in 2014. They did the same study back in 2016, and everybody was happy because it, it went up. So now, um, they based this since 2016 up to 2018, that 51% of Americans are glad or happy about their jobs. Uh, which means to say that 49% of people out there, of the working class, hate their jobs. Um, interestingly enough also, if we look at the um, survey done worldwide, the, it's actually a lot worse. If we look at, if we ask people who work all around the world uh, if they're happy with their jobs, 85% of those people say that they are not happy with their jobs. Now, they, there's, there are other interesting studies done, and they found that there is a high correlation between people be enjoying their jobs or being satisfied with the place that they work at or their, their career choice with the money that they are getting um, at their jobs. Which means, in other words, um, the higher the pay, the more their job gives them a sense of satisfaction. So the lower pay you get, um, the more unsatisfied you are with your job. I remember a story that my cousin told me. He went to PUC up north. Um, he lives uh, in St. Helena. And he was taking pre-med. Um, something happened along the way that, you know, after he finished his pre-med, he ended up doing something else. And, you know, he enjoys what he does. However, he had a lot of friends that are now doctors here in Loma Linda. And many a times he comes down here and, you know, he actually... Um, goes with them, they would throw in parties or they would um, just hang out and uh, be with, with friends. And he would be with them and he said, you know, he found something very interesting about these doctors, these new doctors. Uh, when they're together, he says that all they can talk about is how they hate being a doctor. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting, right? Um, and they said that, you know, they would always tell him, hey, you know, uh, the, you're lucky uh, because you chose a different career path. We hate it. That's what his friends were telling me. 
And so it, it goes to say that, hey, you know what? There, there is a truth in regards to people not being satisfied with their job. And mainly, the correlation with that, just like as, as, as the, the survey says, is the higher, pay, the higher salary you get with your job, the more satisfied you become. I remember over the time, uh, the last time we were in the Philippines, I was talking with some of the uh, pastors in um, the district that we were in and the conference that we were in. And they said that the, the problems that they're having with pastors is there's very, very, um, they, they're having difficulty when it comes to politics as far as pastoral jobs in the Philippines. They said that um, many pastors in the Philippines, they want to be part of administratorship, which means they want to work for the conference, not as senior pastors of the churches. And I said, what's going on here? And then, why? And then he told me, well, simply, if you're a senior pastor of a church, you get no benefits at all. You have no health benefits. Your salary is reduced to whatever they can do. I mean, uh, to, 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 to mere, if we actually translate it here, I mean, it's barely even $100 a month. And they're pastoring more than three churches at a time. And some of them have to travel distances of about 15 miles to be able to visit their churches on, a, uh, on Sabbath. And they're required to actually visit their churches on a Sabbath. And so many of the pastors there no longer want the job of, you know, the, the, the dirty work of the pastor. They actually want to be, hey, con conference president or to work in administration. Because in administration, they do less and they get paid more. They do less and they get more benefits. However, the problem that they're having is no one is out there to do the dirty work anymore. And so it's, it's interesting that somehow work um, or, or laboring um, is something that we do even though we are not satisfied. I mean, part of the survey that, that I looked at also says that um, about 50% of people that work um, Find their identity and their career path. And the other 50% say that, hey, you know what? We're just doing this to get by. And that's why there is no happiness. Um, you know, and I've also um, gotten the opportunity to speak with some of the graduates of our church and people who are constantly looking for a job. You know, praise the Lord that um, our elder here, her, his daughter found um, a job um, as a nurse, I believe, right? And many people, uh, usually after they graduate or maybe they're transitioning, uh, they usually have the question of, hey, you know what, what should I do now, right? Or what school should I go to? Uh, for people who have graduated and has a degree, they said, what job should I get? Where should I work? And those are the usual questions. And sometimes I would pry in a little bit just to make sure, you know what, I'm giving them the right advice. I don't want to give the wrong advice to people. And many a times, or most of the time, the real motive of the question after I have pried it is really, where will I make the most money? Uh, some of the, these kids that come up to me, you know, they would tell me, hey, should I be a nurse or should I be a an x-ray tech, or should I be a physical therapist, or should I be a doctor? And then I would tell them, hey, you know what? If you become a nurse, I'm a nurse. These are the work that, that follows when you're a nurse. However, the pay is this much. 
And they would say, oh, okay, that's pretty good. But you know what? There's too much work. What about x-ray tech? You know, and they would say, oh, with x-ray tech, there's really, it's kind of like a, a I tell them, a, a dead-end job. But hey, you know what? There's not much to do, but it's good pay as well. And, you know, they weigh their sentiments based on the money that they would get. And I don't know, some of you are smiling, but maybe some of us went to our career path choice because, hey, it will put money on the table. Uh, I remember I, I wanted to be a pediatrician, um, but at that time, it just, the option just wasn't there. And I said, what's the next best option? And my mom told me, hey, you know, the ner- being a nurse actually gets the job done and puts way more than money uh, than just food on the table. And then I said, okay, so I'll be a nurse. You know, having this mindset that, hey, nurse, actually you get good money being a nurse. Um, but later on in my experience, I found out that, hey, you can be a broke nurse. You know, you can be a nurse and still be broke. Right? <laughs> I saw some person saying, hey, that's true. All right, so, however, um, <laughs> so if I were to ask, is this true or is this false? And some people might say, yeah, it's true. Some people might say it's false. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it a good motive to actually find the best paying job? Yes or no? It can be a good motive, right? I mean, we're supposed to be able to, especially if we have family, as, um, as the, the man of the house, we're expected to be the provider, right? Now, um, continuing on, uh, asking the question is, what is your goal for your career? Why are you in the place, uh, you know, uh, why are you where you are at? Um, on a side note, though, um, you know, whenever I preach this, people think that, hey, you know what, like, I think this guy is saying that it's not okay to be rich. Is it okay to be rich, yes or no? Yes. Are there going to be rich people, I mean, in heaven? Will there be rich people in heaven? Yes. Give me a name. Abraham is actually a favorite character of mine. He's, he's I mean, he's filthy rich. Um, and he'll be in heaven. Who else? Job was rich. Actually, uh, God doubled his riches afterwards, right? Uh, who else? Jacob afterwards, yes, later on, Jacob became, you know, very, very wealthy, but then, you know, the, the drought happened, and then they had to go to Egypt, and Joseph was very wealthy, all right, Joseph was very wealthy, we have Solomon in the Bible, um, and so there are actually rich people in the Bible, now, let me ask you the question, are these rich, rich people our models, role models, can they be a role model, yes, they can be, um, but let me ask you a question, another question, are the apostles rich? Were the apostles rich? No, <laughs> no, they're not, right? So is it okay to make us an object in our life to be financially wealthy? Or is it dangerous? Now let's turn our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 4, and let's see what the Bible says. Now I'm not against being rich, um, but I think it's, it's safe to say that, hey, you know what? What the Bible says, we'll stay where what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 4. And I'm using the King James Version. When I started memorizing the scripture, I started memorizing King James, so I stuck with the King James. Um, but, you know, I know the language sometimes may be difficult. But in um, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, the Bible says there, Labor not or work not to be rich. Huh, that's very interesting. Labor not to be rich, seize from thine own wisdom. So what the Bible is saying here is, you know what? 
do not work for financial wealth. And if we're working for financial wealth, by implication, it's saying that we're working in our own wisdom. Huh, that's very interesting. Um, continuing on, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Why does the Bible discourage um, working for financial wealth? Now, let's, let's continue on to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. This one, actually, I like better on New King James. Um, just because of the translation, sometimes some of the kids, they can't really um, understand. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 9, on the King James, it says, but they that will be rich. Uh, in other words, in the New King James, it says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. What the Bible really is saying is, the richer you are, the harder it is to enter the, the kingdom of heaven. Now, why is it harder to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's harder to enter the kingdom of heaven because the richer you are, the more opportunities for temptation to come to you because you have more money to spend on on these temptations. That's what 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 there. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Simply put, I mean, just uh, in, in practical terms, if I, have no money, if I have no money to buy drugs, I will never try the drug. You, you get it? I mean, just put it in very simple terms. However, God is not against treasures. God is not against money. Uh, in fact, as a matter of fact, um, I think it's said in, in, in Christ's Object Lesson, page 351, he says, money has great value. What did I say? Money has great value. Money has great value because it can do great good. Money has its place. God's for God, um, what's it? Money has its place. God's children, uh, for God's, uh, in the hands of God's children, it is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, and clothing for the naked. It is a defense for the oppressed and a means to help the sick. I mean, imagine, you know, you, you were stuck in a case. I was reading um, a Early on this week, I was reading a case where I honestly believe the man was um, indicted. Uh, what's that? I mean, he was, he was indicted wrongfully. Uh, he was accused wrongfully, and now he's in jail for 263 years. And I, believe, I honestly believe, and you know, you can prove me wrong, and it's okay. I, I, you know, it's just my opinion. I honestly believe the man is innocent. Now, if you were that man, imagine you were that man, you were innocent, and you have no money to pay for a lawyer. Do you think you will be able to win the case? No. Money can be used, it says here, as a defense for the oppressed and a means to help the sick. Now she continues on and says, but money is of no more value than sand, only as it is put to use in providing for the necessities of life, in blessing others, and advancing the cause of Christ. In other words, other than 
the money providing for our necessities and helping others and advancing the cause of Christ, it is useless. And that's why the Bible actually says, hey, you know what? Check your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Continuing on with this verse, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Um, uh, let's turn our Bibles now to Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And before we turn there, Actually, I mean, we can read this. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Jesus is giving a principle here. He's saying, watch out. Take heed... Of, it says here, take heed and beware of covetousness because a man's life does not consist in what he has. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he has. You know, back then when I was a nurse, I said, you know what, hey, I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to buy this car. I'm going to buy this many shoes. I'm going to buy this equipment. And, you know, I, I tried that. I, re- I, I literally tried that as a nurse, uh, you know, and I started buying a car. I bought the car that I wanted. Um, I mean, it's not the most expensive car. Uh, I said, you know what? We need to be humble. You know, in your mind, you're kind of like trying to, to play on like, hey, I'm a Christian. I can't buy, you know what, uh, this expensive car because people might think, you know, I'm not a Christian. So I bought the car that I thought was good for me. I mean, and then I bought shoes. Um, right when I graduated, you know, I, I started to make money. Uh, I gave myself a gift. And uh, I said, it's my nursing gift. There was a, uh, I don't know if any of you on, um, are into Sneakers, you know, basketball shoes, the Jordans. There was a limited edition Jordans that came out. And it actually said nurse on one side. Um, And so I said, I'm going to buy this. This is a gift for me. Um, I used that shoe now. I think that shoe is all, you know, I I tore it apart. I threw it away. It was a regret that I threw it away. You know how much that shoe is selling for right now? I bought it for $140. Imagine that, shoes for $140. You know how much that shoes costs now? If I were to sell it, if I never have used it, $5,000. And so I bought these shoes. I bought, the, I, I bought the car. I don't have I threw away the shoes. I, I, you know, people actually would buy the used version for $200. And I just threw it away. Right? When I got these things, I thought it would make me happy. But it only made me want not just more, yes, more, but something more big, something bigger or more expensive. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. It talks about that, hey, you know, those people that were the seed that was thrown in the, the, the thorny ground, and, and I think the thorny ground expresses, I can't believe, I can't remember if it's the thorny ground or the, the rocky ground. I believe it is the thorny ground, but it's the, the, the thorn that chokes up. It's the deceitfulness of riches. You know what the deceitfulness of riches is? Um, I, I could, back then I couldn't understand it. I, you know, the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches, actually what it, it entails is that it gives us a mindset that somehow if we have enough, we will be satisfied. But the problem with that is, is when does satisfaction comes? I have a boss 
who went back in 1990, I believe, um, she had already procured, I don't know if I'm using that word right, English is my second language, she had, uh, she had already um, accumulated a wealth of $2 million. She said that by the time she, you know, she retired, she would want to be able to accumulate, or actually she said, she, 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 she said this exactly, when I accumulate $20 million, I will retire. She, and this $2 million isn't just like money in the bank. It's money in her bank at home. It's in a safe, it's in a safe at home that was brought in by a crate so that no one can, can, can steal it. That was 1990. Um, in 19, I mean, not, not 19, in the year 2000, Home health, I work in the home health field as a nurse. I'm a home health nurse. Home health, um, this is before Barack Obama, um, hit an all-time high. If you were an LVN in the year 2000s, and you work for home health, and you visit about, let's say, five patients, five to ten patients, and you're visiting that patient today, you know, BID for, 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 for those who are um, um, in the health field. If you're visiting a patient, injecting them insulin, just injecting them insulin, twice a day for a month, you will make $30,000 as an LVN. I have an LVN that I work with right now. I'm an RN. An LVN that I work with, we do the same thing. She does wound care, but she has more clients. She makes $17,000 a month. So, by calculation, by calculation, um, do you think that $20 million was attained already by, you know, my boss? 1990, 10 years, $30,000 a month, you know, that's pretty easy money, right? Uh, she, she probably, and she, ha she has, she, she does not just only have home health, she also has boarding, boarding care facilities, and she has all this. But you know what? Do you think she's retired now? Actually, I think my mom told me, because my mom knows her, you know, sometimes she, she borrows money from her. Um, and she told me, when she, she told me she borrowed money from her one time, and um, she actually saw the vault. And, she, you know, she opened the vault, and she saw her just piles and piles and piles of cash. And she grabbed one of the cash, and she gave it to my mom, and she said, the cash that was in there was so old that the rubber that was uh, encircling the cash already dissolved. And so my mom says, there's got to be at least easy $20 million in there. But is she retired? No. The deceitfulness of riches gives us a mindset that if we, if we have enough, then we will be satisfied. But the problem is, it deceives us into thinking we will never have enough. We will never have enough. Have you ever... Um, Given yourself, have you ever thought about this? That hey, you know what? The more money I have, um, hey, you know, the better job I get, um, the more money I will have for ministry, and the more chances for ministry I will get. You know how many people have said that? I've said that before. But yet, the more money I have, it seems like the, the less ministry I do. Because then the more money I have, the more other things I do. The best way to enter the ministry is right now, wherever we are at. 
God will provide. But I mean, you know what? Let's continue on with the message. Um, so Luke chapter 12, verse 15 gives us the principle that, hey, you know what? It's not about what we have. Uh, the, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he has. We can apply the same principle for other things. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the places that he has visited. A man's life is not, does not consist in the abundance of the children that they have. Even though children are a blessing. But there are people, uh, someone had told me the other day, they said, hey, you know what? If you have eight children, you don't have to work anymore. Just take welfare. And I said, why? Every single child for welfare is $800. If you have eight children and, and, and you're taking welfare for $800 per children, you're getting, how, how much is that? Eight times eight. $6,400 a month. And I, I, I thought about it once. I said, nah, you know. <laughs> um, it does not consist of the things that we have. But yet, we're putting so much pressure on this, which is why, you know, many people have it upside down when, before Jesus Christ came here on earth. Remember, the disciples thought, the richer you are, the more blessed you are. Abraham was rich, by the way. Joseph was rich, by the way. And so when, when G, before Jesus comes, there is this notion that, hey, you know what? We should accumulate wealth. The very reason why the, 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 the apostles even followed Christ is because they believe, even though he's poor right now, he will give us wealth later on. But when Jesus came, you know, he says, blessed are the poor. And everybody were like scratching their heads. Not only that, he had the audacity to say, John chapter 6, verse 27. And if you turn your Bibles with me, it's actually on the bulletin. John chapter 6, verse 27. The Bible says there, and it's Jesus speaking. He says there, labor not for the meat which perishes. Now, what is, what, what is food that perishes or what is food that spoils? Basically, everything that we eat, it's pretty much, it spoils. And Jesus came in and he says, I don't want you to put as a motivation working just simply to bring food on the table. Jesus was introducing a different principle, a principle that you and I probably are not aware of even now. He's saying, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has God, hath God the Father sealed. So what the Bible really is trying to say to us when it comes to riches is he's saying that, hey, you know what? Our satisfaction does not come in what we have. It comes in who he, we have, and that is Jesus Christ. But it, he, he doesn't stop there. He actually didn't stop there, but in the beginning of his ministry, he continued on. So, but before we, 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 we continue there... The principle of trying to find a job or trying to ask God, where do we need to go next? I mean, the principle of trying to find a job or where do we need to go next is to ask God, where do you want to send me where I can be a blessing to your cause and to others? Even if we have found the best paying job for us right now, what is the guarantee that later on, we will continue to be satisfied with that pay. There is no guarantee. 
But if we go into our job places, if we go into our workplaces, knowing and understanding that I did not just come here as a nurse. I came here as the child of God. I came here as an ambassador for Christ. Then we have a deeper purpose in our job than just merely getting benefits than just merely getting a raise, than just merely getting the, the amount of money that we want. Again, we don't work simply to provide for ourselves. Now, why not? Didn't the Apostle Paul say in First, I think First Thessalonians or Second, yeah, First Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> Didn't he say that? You don't work, you don't eat. Now let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And as you're, I see some pages turning there. Again, if we ask students or new graduates or people trying to look for a job, hey, you know what? Um, when they're asking us, hey, you know what? Where should I go? We should ask them, hey, what's your goal for your career? And... Is your goal for your career the best paying job or the, be or, or the job with the best benefits? Or is your goal for your career is to find out where God wants you to be and find out what God wants you to do? Now you're in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. By the way, um, I saw on the bulletin we're supposed to end at 12, huh? Um, maybe give me five minutes. Is that okay? Uh, 10 minutes? Okay, I'll take 10 minutes, all right? Hey, so it's not against me. It's against the elder, okay? 10 minutes, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We'll go quickly here. The Bible says here, and, you know, the same principle that we've been talking about, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Again, um, there is a difference between that which perishes. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says that the world passes away and the desires thereof. If, our, if, we, if we desire, you know, if we've been longing to be in Hawaii, the Bible says Hawaii will pass away. That desire will go away. There is a, 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 a desire that has a greater purpose and meaning in life. That's what we need to be laying up treasures for. In verse 20, it says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We'll skip a couple of verses. Verse 24, it says here, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. We cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, let's put it in translation in practical terms. If we're merely going to our jobs to pay the bills, to make money so that we can put food on the table, to, to, to buy a car, to buy clothing, it says there, later on, you will, up end, uh, you will end up hating who? God. You know what mammon means in plain terms, just in the original Hebrew, uh, Greek? Riches. Jesus is saying here, what are we working for? Are we working for God or are we working for riches? It, 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 I'm reminded of the time when the Waldensians, when the Waldensians, you know, were... were, were we're, we're working for the Lord, and they were the only ones carrying the torch for God. 
they, they would enter into these schools not to be educated in heathen schools. They would enter these schools so that they can the, some souls for Christ. They would go into their workplaces not to make money because they understood the priesthood of believers that, hey, I got your back. The same thing that the apostles did back then where they would sell lands if they need money to provide for the next person right next to them. And they said, someone has my back. If you don't have my back, God has my back. So I would enter into their, these workplaces to win souls for Christ. That's the main sole purpose. Otherwise, what Jesus is saying is if we're entering this job for any other reason, later on, we will end up hating the other. We're either going to be working for riches or for God. Where are we working for now? Let's continue on because my time is running really, really fast. And it says here, no man can serve two masters. And in verse 25, Jesus says, therefore, I say unto you, Take no thought, or in other translations, do not worry for your life. What you will eat, or what you will drink, or what you will wear, is not the life more than food, and is not the body more than clothing. Uh, that's the modern J.R. or John's, John Ross's translation. There's more to it than, than food. Um, life, there's more to life than just food, clothing, Shelter, whatever it is. Now continuing on. Behold, the fowls of the air, the birds of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Verse 27. Which, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto your stature? Verse 28. And why take ye thought for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Uh, and yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now here comes the kicker, verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of what? Little faith. Jesus was giving here a principle that if our mindset is the mind, uh, if I, the principle that is in our mind is the principle saying that, hey, you know what? I have to provide for myself. I have to put food on the table. I need to work so that I can do this. Earthly things. Jesus is saying, that's little faith. That's little faith. Now, mind you, I'm not saying that, hey, because many of us have that, that mindset now. Some, sometimes I do, you know. Uh, many a times, I, I, I have the idea of, hey, you know what, should I, should I pull a, uh, an overtime so that I can put more thing and then risk, you know, getting, um, uh, being late at home and all that stuff. I still have that mindset. But the Bible says, hey, that's little faith. Little faith can actually do mighty things. Peter has little faith, but yet that little faith was enabled him to walk on water. I'm not saying that if you have little faith, hey, you know what? God has forsaken you. 
I'm not saying that, hey, just because you have little faith, you know what, there is no uh, room for improvement. No, but Jesus is giving a foundation here. Hey, you know what, little faith can grow. And he continues on, says, even though you have little faith, verse 31, it says here, therefore take no thought saying what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will be clothed with. Verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Verse 33, we know this. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and what now? His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Jesus is saying the lack of faith that we have, that's why we provide for ourselves, is because we do not understand God, that God already has our back. The moment we accept Christ as our personal Savior, God will provide for us. See, the thing is, my work does not provide for me. God uses my work to provide for me, but it's God who is my sole provider. If He tells me to work a it's going to be hard for me. If he tells me to work a minimum wage paying job, even though you're a nurse, I will trust that God, or at least I'm supposed to. I'm not saying I might. You know, I might wrestle with God a little bit, and that's okay. I might, but, but, but we should, Jesus, what Jesus is saying, trust God enough that even though you're, you're, you, what you're making in this job is this much, he will provide for you. As long as we're seeking him first, and his righteousness first. Many people seek temporal things, and we're putting that on a pedestal. But Jesus is saying, if we're seeking temporal things, that's what Gentiles seek. We have no difference between a Gentile, and, 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 and there's no difference. But try to understand that God will provide God is bigger than that. I, I like the story that I was told uh, earlier. You can come to God at any time. Uh, when I used to go to God, I, I, have, I have a biological father and I have a stepfather. Sadly, you know, unbeknownst to them, subconsciously, I have good relationships with them. Sadly, unbeknownst to them, you know, they were not the good um, representatives of Christ to me. Because when I would go to them and I really need money for school, I would tell them, hey, dad, I need money. And they would say, how much is it? Are you sure you're going to use it for this? And I would tell them, yeah, it's for an exam, you know, the, um, the SATs. And they would say, are you sure it's really for the SATs? And it's like, and then they would give me, an, you know, they would interview me. And it, it's like, it's so hard to get money out of their pockets. <laughs> but God is different. The moment we kneel down, and if it's a need, it's guaranteed. There is no holding back. He's willing to give it. He's willing to give it. So we need to get our perspective right um, more than anything. Now, let me just make sure I have everything here um, that I wanted to say in regards to that. Laying up treasures on earth is serving mammon, the god of money. Worrying what to eat, drink, or wear as a priority reveals that we don't believe that God will provide and take care of us. I remember um, just a quick testimony. Actually, I'll, I'll save that for the end. Um, 
in the fourth, in fourth volume of the testimonies, page 251, um, the pen of inspiration penned this. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. We read that verse. Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. If we are true servants of God, there should be no question in our minds as to whether we will obey His commandments or consult our own temporal interests. If the believers in the truth are not sustained by their faith in these comparatively peaceful days, what will uphold them when the grand test comes and the, great, and the decree goes forth against all who will not worship the image of the beast and receive his mark in the foreheads or in their hands? The solemn period is not far off. Instead of becoming weak and irresolute, the people of God should be gathering strength and courage for the time of trouble. Now, what, what, what is the, the teeth that actually puts um, the scare why people would receive the mark of the beast? Have you ever thought of that? If you don't receive the mark of the beast, what can we do or not do? We won't be able to buy or sell, right? The main reason why people would receive the mark of the beast is because, you know what? Their temporal interest is at a threat. They receive it because, hey, you know what? There's a convenience. In other words, the issue for the mark of the beast is whether I'm putting mammon first or do I trust God will provide for me. Many people get this mixed up, you know, and, and people think that hey, the moment you preach about mark the beast, it's like you're an alarmist. And they forget the main issue. And, you know, because they forget the main issue. The main issue is do I trust God or do I not? Now, the spirit of prophecy is actually giving a principle here that, hey, right now is the time that we should trust God. The end of the third angel's message is talking about people who keep the commandment of God and has the faith of Jesus. Now, faith in the Bible is very synonymous to guess what? Rest. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, I'm getting a little bit theological here. The Bible says here, in returning and rest, you will be saved. So the Bible says there, you can be saved by returning, rest, and faith. Wherefore, faith and resting are synonymous to each other. What is the seal of the living God in the last days? It's the Sabbath. You know why the Sabbath? Have you ever thought of that? Why the Sabbath? Uh, I'm not, uh, maybe just to stare your mind up a little bit, um, and I'm, I'm closing to an end. I actually took 15 minutes. I'm sorry. Um, please forgive me. Um, when was the first Sabbath ever celebrated? In the Bible, at least. Do you know? In cre after creation. Yeah, it's after creation. Now, who, who were the, the main participants in the Sabbath after creation? Adam, Eve, and then Jesus Christ, right? Uh, you know, if we kind of look at the theology of it. Did Adam and C... Creation, uh, did, did Adam and Eve see creation? Yes or no? They didn't. So what do you think was this, that Sabbath all about? 
You think what, what, what do you think God was teaching them? And I, I have no time to prove all of this, but uh, you know what? You can ask me later on. I just don't want to uh, continue on and make this longer. The very institution of the Sabbath, God was teaching Adam and Eve that, hey, I'm the creator. This is what I've created for you. You can trust me. You didn't see it, but you can trust me. The Sabbath is about faith. Uh, I think my wife, um, have you been a nurse for a year now? Not yet, right? Not yet, not yet. Well, um, you passed your NCLEX last year, right? Yeah, so my wife passed her NCLEX last year. So it is last year still. I'm sorry, my time is a little bit off. Um, a year ago, a year ago, um, my wife and I um, went through financial hardship. I'm a nurse. That's why I said, you know what? It's possible to be a nurse and still be broke. <laughs> um, and um, what, what ended up happening was she uh, went back to school to finish her RN degree. Uh, and so I was stuck, you know, working. Um, I'm the only one that was working because I, I want her to focus on school. Because when I went to nursing school, it was, whew, uh, it was like one of the toughest, toughest things I've ever done. Um, however, I mean, it brought us to like, a position where I've, I've never been. Because my parents were, you know, not good examples uh, as of God as a provider for me, in my life, I've always been trying to provide for myself. And there never came a time in my life that I didn't have money in the bank. Always did. Saved, I would have money. But this time, it's a lot different, you know? Because um, now I'm not just fending for myself, I'm fending for my wife. And I didn't know God was teaching me a principle here. So I ended up borrowing money from, from people. And then when I borrowed money from people, you know what? I found in the Bible that you shouldn't be borrowing money, you know, because you're a slave to the lender. And so I said, oh, man, Lord, you know what? I'm not going to borrow money anymore. You're going to have to provide for us. And so I took him by his word. And God is true. God is very true. When I stopped borrowing money, Money would somehow just come in. I would get a raise. I would get a bonus. There was a job that I did before, and I would get that payment for that. You know, God, what God is asking us is just to trust Him. Many of us have a trust issue with God, and it's reflected upon how we relate to our work. Uh, my wife and I will um, sing the closing song. I'm inviting her to come here. And... While she's singing, I want you to ponder upon the words of the song and just maybe it's time to enter that higher trust relationship with God. So I'm inviting my wife. She will be singing a song, I Shall Not Want. <laughs>